So um, we're in Habakkuk. Uh, we're, as we track minor prophets, we're taking them in order as they appear in our scripture. So that's where we'll be today. It's a short book of just three chapters um, there in the middle of the minor prophets. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I have at times been cheated. Um, I have been cut off uh, in line and uh, occasionally I've been sworn at or uh, had the, you know, the middle finger thing going on. Um, um, just the other day, in fact, Roxy and I were driving. We live uh, over by Target area, and there's a, a cross intersection there, but only one part has stop signs. The other doesn't, but it's with all the restaurants and things, and no one has any idea. They always assume it's a four-way. It's not a four-way. And so when you're coming through with, and you don't have the stop sign, you always have to be careful because people are, it's where Dairy Queen is and Fuzzies. Um, so, you know, people are drinking at Fuzzies trying to get to Dairy Queen. Um, <laughs> and they're, it's very dangerous. It's a dangerous situation. Uh, and just the other day, we were driving home, coming through there, and a guy, he didn't even look, um, and he just rolled right through that stop sign, cut us off. I didn't honk. Um, we just kind of rolled, and I think Roxy made a simple gesture like, and this guy, he lost his mind. His sunroof was open. He's raising his hand out the, he's screaming and hitting things, and he drove, and we're like, and then he blew through another stop sign and went into a housing area, and I thought, oh, he's going to follow us. This will be interesting, because he stopped and he turned around, but he didn't. He went back looking for Dairy Queen, so <laughs> went back through the, um, but an interesting thing, when those moments happen, as goofy as they are, it does, if you're anything like me, uh, it does something to us, doesn't it? Something silly, like, there's like a default setting in us where I immediately think of all the things I can do to retaliate, or if he does follow us, where I'm going to go to lead him into danger. <laughs> um, I... Uh, you know, and you, you quickly run and, and you hope in those moments, um, you know, something else will kind of kick in and common sense and things like that will happen. Um, we've all experienced things like that. Uh, maybe being sworn at, um, you know, even on the street, it's always off-putting when you say hello to someone and it's met with, you know, vile language or, uh, you know, whatever to you. Um, and that, those kinds of things ring, don't they? They ring kind of like a bell in our lives. And if you're anything like me, it sets off. I can remember things years and decades later, later moments, actions, words that in, in essence in our culture, they are curses. It's people who are cursing us, whether it's literally curse words or an action, or perhaps you've experienced injustice of being cheated um, in college in the 90s, um, you know, as a college kid, freshman, living out of state, away from home, cash poor, uh, at a Christian school, deeply desiring to, you know, in all the beautiful naivete of that and ignorance of that, wanting to do what's right, having no money. And we had a guy come to our dorm um, and he asked for cash. And so we didn't have much, but what little we had, we gave to him because we were like, hey, we're following Jesus. This is what we're going to do. This guy's really in need. Lo and behold, later on the news that evening in Fresno, California, if you see this guy, 
whatever you do, don't give him anything. He's armed and dangerous and whatever. So we're sitting there going, oh. Um, and not only are we out a few bucks, but it, it triggers that whatever those things are, frustration, anger, fear, um, heartbreak, you know, when you truly are cheated out of something and there's no way to recover it, what are you going to do in that situation? You're just out that money. No Taco Bell, no Subway, no Top Ramen, okay? Um, and so there's a, this morning as we look at Habakkuk, uh, these kind of silly stories, but they, you know, they have authentic things to them. There's something very real that we don't control that can get triggered in us. A mixture of fury and fear and adrenaline. Um, and in life, all of us know that our experiences, evil and injustice, the way we experience that, it only starts there, right? The things I just shared are like, the very beginning of that experience in life, and it just escalates from there. The book of Habakkuk has much to tell us about this dynamic, so we're going to look at that today. Habakkuk is unique among the prophets. Um, he has no word for the people of God. Uh, he has two complaints directly to God, which God answers. Those are in chapters 1 and 2, and it's sort of an oracle that has been compiled, and then chapter three is a prayer. So we have like an oracle and then a prayer. And so we're going to look at this together. Uh, Habakkuk was a contemporary of Nahum, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. There's a really good chance he would have actually known Daniel and Ezekiel. So he's very well grounded uh, in the prophetic world in that time frame of the fall of Jerusalem and exile and all of that stuff. Uh, in the late 500s BCE. So that's who we're going to look at. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we are grateful to have the scriptures for the message that your prophet Habakkuk gave these centuries ago, um, how it applies to our lives today, um, how it was leveraged in the New Testament. Um, Lord, we pray that you'd give us wisdom in how to um, listen to you and how to uh, engage this and apply it to our lives. Um, Father, above all, we are uh, silent before you and we need to be and we're grateful uh, for your love for us and that while we cheated and while we cut off and while we swear at you, uh, you did not return in kind, but you went to the cross on our behalf and have made a way for us to be reunited with you and with one another. Um, so we ask for help understanding that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to start in Habakkuk 1. This is part of his first complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice, and why do you tolerate wrongdoing? As I mentioned, two complaints from Habakkuk, both, both about evil and injustice, chapter 1. First complaint is about his homeland. It's about Judah. Okay, so we can say his first complaint to God here is about injustice, wrongdoing, evil that is internal. It's inside God's people. This is Judah. It's not another nation. So Habakkuk's very frustrated with this and with what's unfolding. Yahweh responds. God responds and says, I'm fully aware of this and I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to use the Babylonian Empire 
to deal with the corruption and evil and injustice of the people of Judah. To which, of course, Habakkuk has a second complaint, and he says, wait, 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 how can you do that? They're worse than us. So then he goes from inside, right? He goes, Lord, help the corruption, evil, wrongdoing, injustice here. God says, oh, I will. It's going to come from Babylon. He says, well, they're worse than us. How can you use someone who's worse to correct what's bad inside? You're going to use the external to correct the internal? And God again responds, and we'll look at that as well. Um, He says, hey, look, I'm aware of that as well. And Babylon's going to get what they have coming. Uh, And indeed, in 539, if you know a little history, 587, the fall of Jerusalem by Babylon. 50 years later, the fall of Babylon by the Persian Empire. And it's worthy of noting, as I think Steve mentioned in the last couple weeks, when we pay attention to timelines, it's helpful. This unfolds over not months, not years, but decades into stretching into centuries. So the action of God, you know, in the scope, uh, uh, the overturning of a law, the movement of a nation, the rebuilding of something, we would like to see that done by Friday. And a lot of times it's more like, oh, and then 50 years later this happened. And a century later this, the perspective is huge. Habakkuk doesn't have the perspective of God in his complaints. So here's the first question we have a couple today. Is God good when there is so much evil in the world? Is God good when there's so much evil in the world? Habakkuk asked this both internally and externally, and at the same time, he affirms the goodness of God, that God is good and just. And so Habakkuk isn't coming at this question uh, from a, a place of faithlessness or, you know, questioning, does God exist, or how can this be? He's genuinely asking, there's this mystery, how is a good, just, faithful, loving God, what's happening when there's so much evil in the world? God's response to the second part of his questions, internal injustice, external injustice, God is responding here in Habakkuk 2, and says, see, The enemy is puffed up, Uh, speaking of Babylon. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faith. And if there's, this is one of the takeaway verses from Habakkuk uh, that the New Testament authors latch on to, the righteous person will live by his faith. Uh, Peterson in the message says it this way, look at that man bloated by self-importance. I'm thinking of the guy going from fuzzies to Dairy Queen now. (laughs) Look at that man, bloated by self-importance, full of himself, but soul empty. But the person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing is fully alive, really alive. Can start to reframe what God's answer to Habakkuk can start to reframe how we see both the internal and the external injustices and evil and corruption. This idea of, here we go, righteous live by faith, Paul um, uses here in Romans 1, central theme to his theology. 
Um, he writes, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. The question is, what does this mean? The righteous will live by faith. What do we mean by this? Um, those who are rightly related to God and others will live by faith. And that faith, what's the faith? Ultimate allegiance to Christ and the kingdom of God as Jesus established. And so just like Steve was mentioning, uh, it's good to fight for legislation that aligns with beliefs and brings justice. It's very good to do that. It's good to have systems and structures and fight for those things. But ultimately, the righteous don't live by legislation alone. They don't live by the law of a land alone. Those rise and fall. Um, empires come and go over time. City-states, nation-states throughout the history of humanity, some are good or better than others, some are wicked, wicked than others, but the righteous live by faith, ultimate allegiance to who God is, what God's doing, and Paul leverages this in his writings to make the point that we're saved by Christ alone, nothing external to that, not even obedience to Torah, not even if you take scripture and think it's, you know, just instructions for how to live, which it is, but that and that alone, and you live by those things, that's good. You're going to have a blessing from that, but that does not bring you into right relatedness with the Father. That comes through relationship with Christ. So how do we as followers live this out? Um, another place where Paul grabs Habakkuk, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Big, big themes for Paul. Nothing internally to us, nothing externally to us in this world will ultimately make us right with God. There's nothing at my disposal in my default human nature or in the rules of Greeley. I can write to the city and say, demand, there must be another stop sign at this intersection. These fuzzies people and Dairy Queen people are, this is not good. And that's very true. Actually, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. Um, <laughs> this needs to be a four-way stop. Look at the danger. And you know the answer to this question. Does that mean there will never be an accident at that intersection then? No, of course not. Because humans and laws and all these things, they ultimately fail. They're as good as they are obeyed. And so we need something different. Paul's saying, look, the law is good. We should follow the law, but that in and of itself isn't going to get us there. It's not going to bring right relatedness to us and God and to us and one another. Our fallenness, our desires, our thinking, our motives, they only get corrected and brought into alignment through Christ by the work of the Spirit. So Habakkuk continues in 2. God's response, actually, he's writing down God's response. And God has five woes in chapter 2, and they're worth paying attention uh, when we talk about the injustice. What is this injustice that Habakkuk's railing against, internal and external? One, actually, woe one and two, the nation is using unjust economic practices by way of corrupt interest, 
um, intentional, you know, cheating of people, keeping poor people poor, um, all those kinds of things. The third woe is that they use slave labor and they treat humans like animals. Um, that's an injustice that isn't going to be tolerated. The fourth is that they abuse alcohol in order to take advantage of others. If you read Habakkuk 2, it's pretty nasty. You know, God's very direct what's happening in Babylon and some of that's bleeding over into Judah and how they are leveraging substances to trick their neighbors and, um, you know, cause all kinds of nasty things. And then lastly, he says, woe to the nation who uses their wealth, their power, and their national security as their gods. So these four things and five woes, these four things, when we talk about what then should happen, this is what Habakkuk has in his target are these items and elements. How then shall we live? I have three th- if you're a note taker, we got three things uh, this morning, keeping it to that pattern. How do we live then, considering what Habakkuk has said, uh, what God has answered, his complaint, and what Paul wrote in the New Testament? Others pick up on the themes of Habakkuk as well. First, number one, the righteous will live by faith, so our ultimate allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. This is when we say, well, then what do we do when there's injustice? What, what should we remember? What should be on board? What are the tools we can use when our default setting, I get an adrenaline dump, and depending on my past, I, that either makes me want to run away, flight, it makes me want to fight. We also saw a fight in our neighbor. Roxy got some on camera. Our neighbors were punching each other in the street. Um, <laughs> we live in a great neighborhood. You guys saw um, like, what is this? Uh, you know, wh- I get it, though, don't you? Uh, when you get cut off, cheated, lied to, sworn at, so unchecked, that default setting triggered. If someone's not in submission and ultimate allegiance to Christ and what his kingdom looks like, that's where it goes. In our marriages, that's where it goes, doesn't it? We run away. We might not yell at somebody, but we go hide. We refuse to engage. Or we attack, right? Or we lock. These things, uh, they play out into nations, but they are happening internally as well. The righteous will live by faith. Another big question, how should a follower of Jesus respond to injustice? And let's remember the woes that Habakkuk gets from God, this kind of stuff. It's an acknowledgement. I think I do this a lot, unfortunately, with Scripture we start to take it into places it's not speaking to. So just to acknowledge the complexity of the topic of evil and injustice, um, when you get into things like self-defense in your home, military, uh, policing, running a nation state, the question of injustice and violence and how do we respond, the complexity starts to increase, doesn't it? And so when you, yes, as a person following Christ, I need to walk out as best I can with his help, things, the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount, the things that we're going to read from the New Testament here in a minute. But as soon as you take that and you want to apply it to a nation's military or 
you know, certain circumstances of self-defense in the home or how to, now we're into kind of a, that's not one of the woes. Uh, making the military your idol, making the way I defend my family idolatrous, where that, I have allegiance to that over all else, that's a problem. But having those things at play, that's not what Habakkuk uh, is getting a response from God on. So just to acknowledge the complexity and to, for us to keep in focus those five things, two on corrupt economic practices, one on slave labor, one on the abuse of alcohol while abusing others, and one in making wealth, power, and national security our gods. This is a great question. If you think about this and you think about the New Testament, many things might come to mind. One that I love, it's one of my favorite, Luke 9, James and John. Do you guys remember their nickname, James and John? Sons of Thunder. Why? Do you remember? Luke 9, they're walking to Jerusalem with Jesus, and they come to a village, and this village will not welcome them. They don't welcome Jesus. And James and John say, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them now? And Jesus, is, he rebukes them, right? He rebukes them and says, no. But they have this reputation and nickname, and they're not kidding. They're serious. They are like, hey, let us summon down the wrath of God to destroy these people who did not welcome us. And Jesus rebukes them. And if we are going to take our cues from Jesus that that kind of action, retaliation, is not how the kingdom comes, right? So when we think of how a follower of Jesus would respond to injustice, James and John, their interaction with Jesus, end of Luke 9 is a good place. For those who desire justice, some of us have a very high justice meter. If we desire justice and ultimately what's right and good, what should our response be? Right? Well, Habakkuk gives us some clues on this too. At the end of chapter 2, he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Perhaps when we have a reaction that inside of us, fear, frustration, anger, content, it might come from a great place, the desire for justice, to right a wrong. Those are good things. But maybe what we need to do is get quiet. God is holy, be quiet. God is holy, get still. Get silent before God and see if his perspective might invade our default settings and the scale and scope of the reality of my own need, fallenness, brokenness, sinfulness might come into that situation and I will realize, oh, I too am a person who has cheated people. I too have cut people off. I too have sworn at people. Habakkuk says, God's holy, be quiet. That's a good response for us, especially when we think the internal nature of the things that we are unhappy with. Get silent and allow God and his spirit to reorient our desires and our thinking and begin to align us with his character and intention for creation. So how do we live? The righteous live by faith, ultimate allegiance, to Christ and his kingdom, and we are silent before God. God alone is fully good, just, holy, sovereign, righteous, and knows all things. 
Hopefully we are aware as humans, we, when we mete out justice, when we make a decision, even in the best court we can imagine and design, it's still flawed. Because in order to do perfect justice, you would have to know everything about everyone. and You would have to be all-knowing. And thankfully, we serve a God who is and promises that he will ultimately leverage all his goodness, all his justice, all his all-knowing for what is right and true. In the New Testament, there's more. We got one more, right? So the righteous will live by faith, and we need to be silent before a holy God. We're going to come up to our third and final one. In Romans, Paul uh, has, they're all riffing on this theme throughout the New Testament. Uh, He says, think of this question, how do we live when we encounter injustice? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So the guy, you know, maybe the move would have been Fuzzy's guy throwing a fit is to pull up and offer to go buy him a blizzard, you know? <laughs> I'll help you. I know where Dairy Queen is. I'm sober. I can direct you there. We'll get you hooked up. These are fascinating. I mean, I know we read scripture, most of us in here, and I mean, it's just incredible. Do not, do not return evil for evil. Um, Peter, in 1 Peter 3, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I mean, this is the upside down nature of the kingdom. This is the mystery of Jesus and what's happening in his humanity and divinity and the cross and and all of these things coming from the, the pen of Peter. This, you know, repay evil with blessing. It's fascinating. How do we live when we encounter injustice? Paul, again, in 1 Thessalonians, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So how do we live? Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith, so our ultimate allegiance to Christ and his kingdom. We're silent before God. I mean, just best biblical practice. When, when we get triggered, whatever that looks like with your children, your marriage, your neighbors, the news, I don't know, to just get quiet before a holy God and see if you have pledged yourself to God, his promises, give me that heartbeat and my spirit will speak. Give me a minute here, right? Get silent before God and just see. Don't react. See what God will do. And third, we just read a few or many more New Testament passages. We bless those who curse. We give all trust and control over to God who will ultimately repay and avenge. We don't do it because, well, it, 
Justice requires payment. It has to be made right. If by accident or by intention, when something is wrong and there's injustice, the promise of God is it will eventually be made right. I will avenge, I will repay, not you. You Do not take that trust and control back for yourselves. Do not eat from the tree in the garden. Let me be God and you be my beloved who are trusting in me. So instead of cheating, instead of cutting people off, instead of swearing at people, we live by faith, we are silent before a holy God, and we bless those who curse. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your goodness and your justice. Lord, we acknowledge the complexity and the difficulty many times to try and sort through the places where we want to see uh, justice be done and we feel like it's not happening or there's loose ends in life or our experiences scream at us that you indeed are not just or good. And we affirm with Habakkuk, even if we have questions, we affirm that you are faithful, good, just, sovereign, and you will make all things right. So even when it looks like uh, you won't, we proclaim our ultimate allegiance to you. We humble and silence ourselves before you. And Lord, give us the strength to bless those who might curse us as a result. In Christ's name, amen.